Welcome to The Pendant Shakespeare, As You Like It, Act 1, Part 2. I'm your director, Sven Halverson, and I am joined by assistant director, George Linfield. Hello. <laughs> and dramaturg, Landon Bell. I'm loud, I'm proud, and I'm here to make some Shakespeare noise. <laughs> Uncle, thy banished father, and had banished we're starting off with scene three for this so what's that? part, the truth of I love to which was directed by uh, George Linfield, and I scored it. I will forget the condition so. of my estate to rejoice in yours. You know my yeah, I can tell you, this no this whole scene was definitely a challenge. Um, we'll see later on like some of the transitions between areas and some of the sound effects in particular. Um, spent a lot of time on that and uh, had some really good uh, guidance from you, Sven, actually. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in this scene. This first piece of music I actually uh, put together for this. Um, so... Um, I actually uh, put it together in uh, GarageBand on my iPad. So. <laughs> nice. Uh, I wish I could edit on my like my tablet. Because it would just I mean I'd be so much more productive. Be able to work like on commutes. Oh. So adapting this uh, this particular scene in the script was kind of fun because um, most adaptations just do it and they have like this this generic wrestling fight. Or, uh, in the case of, like, the uh, Kenneth Branagh film, uh, he has a, uh, a sumo wrestling fight uh, instead of just, like, uh, a normal wrestling match. Um, and so trying to adapt it to a fantasy setting was uh, interesting, and I finally decided on just having a, uh, a big amphitheater where maybe all the commoners would come to view the match. But nature's who perceive it all natural. And we have a piece by Stephen O'Brien here. And I've sent this natural something a little bit quirky for it to bring in the touchstone, the I guess he's a jester. The fool. The fool. So when I was putting this together, what the image I had in my head after reading the script was was like a big amphitheater, sort of from like Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, like crowd kind of baying for baying for blood, that kind of thing. I think it was in the end it was slightly more tame than that, but um, um, <laughs> we've got the the kind of the fancy element brought in by the, the dragon's presence as well and the royalty having their own box. Um, I think it came came together really nicely. Actually, you can definitely get that fantasy feel. It's not right. just a standard like a wrestling match that you'd see down like down the gym on a Friday night or something. Well, that was kind of the the kind of the idea I had in my head was to to make it something big and bombastic, like a, the royal family have their own box and all the commoners just they sit in the crowd and they cheer it on and you know. Old, old Roman style kind of stuff. I was about to say, like going back to kind of the Colosseum in Rome, almost. Yeah. Before we get uh, too much further in, uh, let me go ahead and introduce uh, our actors. We have Olivia Steele here as Celia. 
and Alexander Elroy as Rosalind, uh, our protagonist. And then we also have Finn MK as Touchstone. Who is fantastic. Like, <laughs> it's pitch perfect Touchstone performance, especially in this scene. Um, definitely, if you're, if you're for whatever reason, you're listening to the director's commentary before listening to the actual episode, go and listen to the actual episode, listen to some of his dialogue. His wordplay is just brilliant. Um, really well put together, but also excellently delivered. I love the uh, the pancakes line. I love that. Yeah, that's that's what I was alluding to. I was confused trying to put that together. <laughs> that was fantastic delivery. And who plays Monsieur Lebeau? Uh, Lebeau is Justin Fife. He seems like a smarmy dude. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, like... If we're going by the French translation, which I suppose is the beautiful, you definitely get that in his voice as well. He feels like he's very full of himself. And throughout this, I, I'm mixing a little bit of different tracks by Stephen O'Brien underneath here. Just depending on the mood, just changing the track out. So. That there is little I like the life. yeah the slightly higher tempo music for so um, Lebeau's tall tale. The poor old man, their father. I think it's a nice touch. Over them, that all the beholders take his part with weeping. If Lebeau came up to you in the street and said, "Come and watch this wrestling," would you go? Because I feel like I'd be sort of put off. <laughs> I don't think I would. <laughs> like you must come and listen to watch this wrestling. It's it's this that like. Well, so no, there's only like one thing that wrestling can be. It's like two guys grappling. He makes it feel like this massive grand epic. You must if you stay here. But I guess it works because they do stay. <laughs> True. True. I feel like they were going to stay anyway, but <laughs> to f to further the plot. <laughs> so I love how this dragon is kind of its own character in this thing. Since the youth will not um, be oh, the dragon definitely... is pain. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> I think we've got um, got a few. We've got kind of a few dinosaur noises and a few panther noises, and some also some horses like doing some heavy breathing. That all comes together to form a dragon. That's that's the magic that are just destroyed for you. And I guess the dinosaur noises were put together by somebody else from other animal sounds. So. I'm, yeah, I'm assuming they're not actually yeah. dinosaur noses, because that would be incredible. Let's <laughs> <laughs> be honest, if someone did get dinosaur noises, I'd just be like, why didn't you just get direct dragon noises? It made my life so much easier. Or better yet, why didn't they just bring the animals here? Uh, I mean, to the present day, the here and now. Yeah, quite. Although I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be the guy to try and record dragon noises. <coughs> quite a dangerous task. Yeah, that'd be fun. Fun job description too. 
<laughs> I record dragon noises. <laughs> so, who um, is playing Orlando? I feel like we should introduce him. Uh, this is Will Shipley. Will Shipley is Orlando. And uh, we have Duke... Duke Frederick. And uh, played by Pete Lutz. They, both, they were both kind of mentioned in our last commentary, but I feel, again, really well cast for their particular roles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I like that it seems rather fatherly at this section of the play. Which may be better supplied when I yeah, that's that's kind of what I was fixing to say. I I like that uh that Pete is really able to contrast his performance. Um, so like in the first episode, uh, in the prologue, he was uh he sounded more full of himself and kind of antagonistic. Uh, here he sounds less so, at least in this scene. Uh, and so I like that contrast that he does. And I think As You Like It is really like it's a family drama. Like it's it's arguments amongst families and the fact that he does seem like this kind of old patriarchal figure, this figurehead of a family before any other before anything else, before he's like seen as a great leader, um, really does fit in well with the play. Mm -hmm. But we've got the, the wrestling here. Um with the adventure the big, music. The, well, yeah, I was about to comment on the on the music. Really good choice. The big action scene. Dragon's fireball signaling the end of that bout. <laughs> it seems like the wrestling could be longer, but it's really hard to make a scene like that longer with. Out it sounding funny. <laughs> yeah, I feel like as well, um, it would just be reusing some of the actors' lines because uh, we only got kind of thirty seconds um, or a minute of that kind of like wrestling, grunting sound effects. Um, and yeah, you're right. It does. If it drags on any longer, you do lose that impetus of the initial. Kind of, uh, action sequence. It'd have to be more dialogue to make it work. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Maybe Orlando is just really, really good at wrestling. Thou descended from another house, but fare thee well. Thou art a gallant youth. I would thou hadst told me of another father. Were I my father cursed, would I do this? I am more proud to be Sir Roland's son, his youngest son. And we're just listening to the actors again. <laughs> well, this is this is a really important part of the of the scene because um, it's it's Orlando sticking up for his family name rather than trying to further his, let's say, political ambitions and potentially um, pledge his allegiance to Frederick. He's saying I'd much rather stick by my own family name, and obviously his family's been disgraced. So I think it is a really important scene in in terms of Orlando's character. Um, and again, played really well by, by Will Shipley. Definitely. And this is also where uh, Rosalind kind of opens up a little bit, um, because you know, first scene we get really get to be introduced to her character, um, because most of Act One is really about Orlando and setting up who he is, um, and then the rest of the play is more about Rosalind. So. Mm. And it's this is kind of the first time where. 
Rosalind and Orlando talk as well. Obviously, they had that little bit of dialogue before the wrestling, but this is kind of like their one-to-one time. What passion hangs these weights upon my right? I cannot speak to her, yet she urged conference. They both do a good job. Um, <clears throat> Will and uh, Alexander both do a good job of uh, make, making the the encounter kind of awkward. Like they don't really know what to say to each other. No, and so it, it's, it's, well. it's it's kind of unclear as well whether they have met before or whether that's that is literally their first meeting. I mean, I feel like they're both kind of they're both royalty. They would have known of each other before, but maybe that is the first time they've met properly, and they are a bit awkward because um, you know, maybe they've heard things about one another said by their families. Neither his daughter, if we right. by manners. But yet, indeed, the lesser is his daughter. The other is daughter to the banished duke. And then LeBeau just kind of like barges in, <laughs> as is his want. Whose loves are dearer than the natural bond of sisters? It's kind of his thing. Yeah, he's just got to be there. He's got to be there to talk. the people praise her for her virtues and pity her for her good father's sake. And on my life, his malice against the lady will... You do feel like LeBeau kind of... He does exaggerate a lot and does say things that could be said in one sentence in paragraphs and paragraphs. I do like that about his character. Oh, yeah. He needs, he needs to be the center of attention, but he's really not. It's great. must die from the smoke into the smother, from tyrant duke unto a tyrant brother. And we have scene four. Which I directed. Why, cousin? Why, Rosalind? Keep it There's not much to say. They're just talking to each other mostly. Want to throw at a dog? No, my words are too precious to be cast away. Uh, really, the function of this scene is to set up uh why Rosalind is still at the castle, even though her uh, her father's been banished. Um, because we added the prologue to Act 1, it kind of already set up that. Um, making kind of the function of this scene uh, repetitive. But uh, I, I do think it works because we split the acts. And so, like, it's, it's been a month since people heard the first episode. So going into this episode, you may have forgotten bits and pieces. Mm. And it also sets up her uh, love story with Orlando. Right, yes, yes. And I think Shakespeare wouldn't be Shakespeare without these kind of um, these scenes that are kind of repetitive in terms of what, what what subject matter they're talking about, but it is the language that they're there for, really. Right, and, and, and I love these types of scenes too. Like, whenever I uh, see an, an, an adaptation that cuts a scene like this, I get kind of irritated because I'm I'm like why would you why would you cut any of it? <laughs> and it's it's yeah it's always noticeable as well. If you read the play and then watch an adaptation, you can always notice when a scene's been cut. I feel like it's okay with Shakespeare to kind of cut sections from scenes, but never like whole scenes um, because right, right. plays are so finely balanced. You've got your five act structure, um, and each act serves its own purpose. So kind of cutting anything from one of those acts might imbalance it. Mistress, you with your haste and get and I'm guessing that is a 
is a kind of challenge that you faced when you were adapting this land as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, sometimes I'll cut a line. Sometimes I, I may assign a different line to a, another character. Uh, but I try my best never to cut a scene. Um, as a matter of fact, when we did Romeo and Juliet, I kept the scene with the musicians after Juliet fakes her death. Um, and I was talking to someone about it, and they were like, I've never been in a production where this scene was not cut. And I was like, well, first time for everything. <laughs> uh, well, that's what makes the productions kind of unique and different as well. It's actually, you know, keeping things. Because it's so easy to cut scenes, you know, in terms of brevity and interest. Actually, that particular scene in that play is one reason I wanted to do it as a sitcom. Uh, because really? the scene is so awkward and out of it's so awkward and out of place. <laughs> so yeah, Juliet just kind of I don't know she just kills herself and then a mariachi band. Exactly, That's exactly. What I'm right now, <laughs> it, it, it's almost exactly that. <laughs> and this little transition music under here was something I put together to transition between the couple of different um, Stephen O'Brien pieces. When it comes to scoring these kind of scenes, so whereas uh, there's a lot of talking, um, how do you go about selecting the music? Because I can imagine it's important not to kind of overpower the dialogue. I just try to find something that works with the feeling that the actors are trying to come across. And, see more and then, when she is gone. then open not thy lips. mostly just lower the volume on it to, doom, to where you can understand her. everything. She is banished. Mm. But sometimes there's, like, mo for most of this play, we're using the music of Stephen O'Brien, but sometimes there's some, none of them seem to work quite right, so uh, I made a couple of pieces for it. Yeah, I'm trying to steer clear of any scoring because I'm it's not my expertise I've never done it before but I think hopefully by the end of this I will at least give it a go um, mm -hmm. or at least you know have a practice <laughs> I thought the scoring in the scene was especially nice uh, because because it does a good contrast between um, the the happy feel of uh, Celia and Rosalind talking at the beginning, and then the the antagonistic feel of Frederick coming in, and then it transitions into the, what we're hearing now, which is the uh, the concerned feel. Like, what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. And it all feels like one big music piece. It doesn't feel like its own separate thing. I originally thought about having something a little bit adventurous when they started talking about. Um, what they were going to do to leave, but uh, I decided to leave that for the credits. <laughs> makes sense. That, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I actually liked the piece you used for the music credits. Uh, or or the, the whole credit, excuse me. In the forest of Arden. Alas, what danger will it be to us, maids as we are, to travel forth so far? Beauty provoketh thieves sooner than gold. I'll put myself in poor and mean attire and with a kind of umber. Umber, that's a word you don't hear used very often. Do you? 
yeah, it, it's it's interesting actually, kind of reading the script and um, and then listening to it. Obviously, it's some of the words you do hear. Yeah, kind of it's like meeting an old an old friend, <laughs> reacquainting yourselves with words. Because I'm guessing you must have been tempted to try and modernise some of the some of the language, but um, it it still retains a feel of, of you know, 15th, 16th century. I think the only time we, that I've really updated the language was in Comedy of Errors. Okay. And that's because it was in the Old West, and I needed the characters to say gun instead of swords. <laughs> and howdy. <laughs> howdy. I think, I think I actually managed to avoid howdy. Really? I think it was in the credits, but and possibly the trailers, but... Uh... Oh yeah, yes, it, it was. It wasn't some of those, but but I did manage to avoid it in the actual script, I believe. Uh, I, that's a that's a big success. <laughs> Here we, yeah. The, the adventure music we were talking about earlier has kicked in. So. As you like it. And once again, Brian has given us an excellent outro. <laughs> yes. I wish I had that voice. Elroy as Rosalind. <laughs> Brian's head just swelled up three sizes. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually going to ask him to record my ringtone. Go for it. Your phone is ringing. Oh, he said my name. Music by Stephen O'Brien. Well, that's us. That's it for us. Excuse me. If I can talk. <laughs> so I guess we'll see you next month. For more information, visit Peace. <laughs> see ya. Bye-bye.